for her. My wife Katie and I have known each other for uh, 22 years, married 16 of those. And at, at the heart of our friendship, we share a blessing and a curse. And interestingly enough, it is the same thing, the blessing and the curse. The, the, the curse is that we have very little in common. And the blessing is, believe it or not, that we have very little in common. I'll explain. Katie loves the outdoors for hiking, adventure, camping. I love the outdoors for, for sport, for scenic beauty, and for getting to a Marriott by nightfall. <laughs> Katie was raised by a single mom, largely. Uh, comes from a big family. I've got the, the two parents, uh, three kids, nuclear family, white picket fence. If my dad could have built a fence, that kind of family situation. Uh, Katie learns by listening. She thrives in spontaneity. I learn by reading. I thrive with structure in life. Katie uh, loves art especially creating it. I can appreciate art, but only draw stick figures and haven't progressed from that, really. Uh, she can do without uh, silliness and puns. <laughs> Meanwhile, I like Will Ferrell and bad dad jokes. So, just to live with that. Katie always eats gluten-free. Always eats gluten-free. Me, I, I wish they could concentrate gluten, put it in a package, and put it on a shelf in the grocery store just so I can consume regularly. If they had it intravenously, I would, I would go with that as well. But, but we bonded over one thing that we have in common. Uh, ever since we were teenagers, we bonded over this one thing, and, and not to be super spiritual about it, but it, it was Jesus. That since I've known Katie, we were uniquely open about our relationship with Jesus, and we have learned about Jesus through one another in ways that I'm convinced we would not have Otherwise, So when, when Jesus is central to our relationship, it is a blessing to us, it's a blessing to our family, and I really believe through Christ a blessing, a beautiful blessing to the world that's looking onto our relationship. But when we try to relate through our differences, we often leave the other person feeling isolated, alone, alienated, excluded. And just speaking for myself, because I can't speak for Katie, when, when I try to sort of form our relationship, form our, our, our relationship into my image, right, through, through sport, books, humor, structure, it can leave Katie feeling alienated and excluded. Uh, each of us comes to a church like ours with very little in common. The people sitting on your row, you may have very little in common. We, we were represented by dozens of nationalities, uh, various first languages that we speak, we're, we're represented by uh, many different worship styles. We're a non-denominational church, so as such, we have different worship styles here, different beliefs on how God is supposed to work through the church. And we have this option as a result. We could develop many smaller churches based on what we share in common, and we would probably grow from those smaller churches more quickly, more rapidly. In fact, megachurches in North America were largely built on the fact that they looked at society and said, what do people most have in common? Let's build a church around that one niche. Katie hates me using this term because it's super technical, but it's the homogeneous unit principle, HUP. And that's good good fun, good family fun. Use that at a party, all right? But it's based around the fact that uh, people love Jesus, plus they share the same ethnicity in common. Or they love Jesus, plus they are from the same generation. Or they love Jesus and have the same spiritual background. Or you love Jesus... Plus, believe Jesus will make everyone rich. And so you make a big church out of that. That's how it works. 
So we could have churches like that. We could have a Canadian sunrise. We could have a Caribbean sunrise, South American sunrise, a South African sunrise, a sunrise for the young professionals, for the empty nesters. We could have a sunrise for Kamanians, sunrise for expats, and each would go quickly. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives a different vision for how church is supposed to be. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul seems to recognize this possibility of the church model I've described. Let's get people together based around what they have most in common. But doing this is doing so at great cost. It, It diminishes, it weakens the power of the gospel in our relationships. It says about relationships, we, we can't exist with Jesus being the center and the bond of our relationship. We need other things. And the world is, is accustomed to that. Guys, the world is accustomed to factions, to community built around similarities, everything we have in common, clubs and societies built around these things. What they're not used to is the vision Paul gives us of church in Ephesians 2. That through his church, Jesus displays this, the bonding power of the gospel. He takes radically different people. In this case, what we're going to read, a Jew and a Gentile. Those who feel excluded, those who feel alienated. And he bonds them together through Jesus Christ. He bonds together unlikely friends through Jesus. Let's read together. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, that's our, those are non-Jewish people, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you so much for your word to us this morning, a group of unlikely friends gathered together on this Sunday. Father, we pray that your word would speak to us, us this morning. Uh, there are, there's, a, there's a lot of words in here, Lord. There, there's, it's chock full of words like uh, commonwealth, covenant, laws, ordinances, apostles, and prophets. So we ask this morning, Holy Spirit, to, to help us Make sense of your word in a way that applies to our life. Give us wisdom this morning, clarity by your spirit. Please, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So with so many words and this wonderful, it's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, 
Uh, I talk about it every newcomer's lunch. I talk about it every chance we get. But there are a lot of words in here. It can be potentially confusing. I think it can be broken down, basically, this passage into two basic movements we see going on here. And those two movements are inclusion and exclusion. Feeling excluded, actually being excluded by fact, and then the times in, in churches, churches like even ours, that we feel included and, in fact, are included. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The feeling, the fact of exclusion, the feeling, the fact of inclusion, and close by summarizing, what's our responsibility towards one another to make people feel included? So let's talk first about exclusion, being felt and exclusion in fact. First felt, many of us walk into a place of worship feeling excluded, and so did those people who are not Jewish, who are not labeled God's people right away, as we see here in verse 11. Let's look at that again. Remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you were called uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision. Prior to Jesus, all right, a non-Jew or, or a Gentile who wanted to seek God could actually do so. But man, it was not easy. It was not easy to do so. If you were excluded, for instance, from a, from a full welcome at the dinner table in the home of a Jew, if you were a non-Jewish person, you, a Jewish person could invite you to the dinner table, but they would do so at great cost. Because if you sat at their dinner table as a Gentile, afterwards, everything you ate with, even the table you ate on, the, the seat you sat on, was, was deemed unclean. The forks, the knives, the dishes, everything you ate with was immediately deemed unclean after you ate there. So you can imagine not getting invited very much over. And when you did, it was a little awkward, right? People started washing dishes, cleaning things pretty quickly, like, oh, gosh, get this off our house. So you could know a Jewish person. You could fellowship, but at great cost and with much awkwardness. You were also excluded from intimate worship. You could go to the place of God's worship, which is called the temple. You could enter the temple grounds, but you could only get so close. There was a special place for you as a Gentile called the Court of Gentiles. And that's where you got to worship. In fact, you couldn't go past your spot. There's archaeological findings of signs that said you couldn't go past a certain place under threat of death. You couldn't go past the court of Gentiles or mint your own life. In other words, don't go any further or we'll kill you. That's where you stood to worship God. So just imagine yourself going, you sincerely want to get to know this God, and you sit at the outer courts, and you can hear the music playing from from the temple building proper. You can even hear maybe the faint voice of the priest reading from the law, explaining the way of being accepted by God. But it was so distant. The majority of Jewish people then felt themselves, because of this, they felt superior. They felt themselves privileged, like they had earned, somehow earned this. So they started treating Gentiles really as second-class people. Second-class people, and they did so by calling them a name, a derogatory name, the uncircumcision. That's what Paul's referring to here. A derogatory name that Jewish people came up with to describe their Gentile friends. You can imagine how that might have felt. So what do you think when everyone was suddenly shoved together under a church roof? Do you think that feeling for the Gentiles, that feeling of being less than just suddenly disappeared when they were side by side with Jews? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, old labels die hard. And so do those feelings created for generations, right? Every person, guys, who worships with us on a Sunday morning, every, every new person who comes through those doors, 
feels like an outsider until they're made to feel otherwise. This is how this begins to apply to us. And the rest of us, including myself, we need to hear this, that that felt exclusion coming through those doors is the default position of new people coming in. After that, that front door bulletin handoff where you might get a quick handshake, and I love our greeters, they do a great job. Many of you guys found a seat without any other human interaction. That's all you've had so far, except for that that two-minute stand up, shake one another's hands, where sometimes you awkwardly sit there, you say hello to someone. You don't want to stop talking and sit down because you don't want to be that person who you know, everybody looks at and thinks is unfriendly. Or worse, you sit down early, right? And everyone around you kind of pities you like, oh, I don't think they know anyone. So you just stand there, you shake your hands, and hopefully it was wonderful for you. But for some of you, it felt isolating. And if you're wondering which crowd you belong to when you come to Sunrise Community Church, are you in Are you out? One way I think we can figure this out is asking this question. Do you have a group, group of people in the back you can go to after the service? I mean, you've been here multiple times. Do you have a group of people back there? You can insert yourself in the conversation. You have a huddle of people you can be around. If that's you, you're on the inside. If not, you probably feel on the outside. And for those of us who feel more on the inside, I want to say something that's going to challenge you and I both. I hope it does. It's meant to. That every week we huddle with the same people in the back. We are unintentionally excluding others. Every week we go to the same people, the same huddle, the same time to catch up with the same folks. We're excluding other people. We don't mean to. It's unintentional. I don't think in your heart you're saying to yourself, uh, I don't want those people, other people to come back to our church. That's how it feels. We have, to, we have to realize that. And I understand. We, we, we kind of just gravitate. We, 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 we look for likeness in others, and we're attracted to that same likeness. And we want to bond over something more than just Jesus. And there's a place for that. I don't want to condemn when we do that. I don't, I don't want to come across that way at all. But as you grow in this church, your Sunday rate of reaching out to unfamiliar people should only increase. It should be like an exponential curve. As you, as you get more familiar with people, as you grow at sunrise, the increase of, of relating with different kinds of people, unlikely people, should increase. I, w- I want to challenge us that, you know, save time for your South African friends out of Bry, right? Save time for your, your American friends around a basketball game. I mean, it's really stereotypical here, okay? Just <laughs> stick with me for a moment. Send your complaints to Gordon McRae later. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, spend, you know, spend time with your British friends, <laughs> you know, o- over a pint of beer, over tea. Of course, it's happening. Here we can keep going, I know. <laughs> spend time with your Kamadian friends. It's going to get worse here. Spend time with your Kamadian friends over a game of dominoes, all right, or, or, or on Saturday at Foster's, right? I mean, like, these are wonderful places to be. Just keep going. <laughs> oh, man. But Sunday should be reaching out to people unlike us. More and more, increasingly and increasingly, even though we were tempted to do otherwise. Because many feel excluded, even when they come through our doors, a place I feel like of welcoming. For some, exclusion is a fact. It's a fact. Prior to Christ, exclusion was, was a fact for Gentiles. It may be a fact for you also. Look at verse 12. It says that anyone who hasn't trusted Christ, anyone who hasn't trusted Jesus, they're separated from him. They're alienated from citizenship and God's commonwealth. They're strangers to all the promises called covenants that God has made with his people. 
You don't get all those blessings. Those covenants, like the ancient promise of God making a people who would be right with him solely by faith. The covenant of being ruled by a righteous king forever. There's a time in everyone's life where they don't know that. They don't know those promises because they don't yet know Jesus. I want to plead with, with some of you who maybe, who maybe feel excluded that one possibility might be, might be, because you haven't yet trusted your life to Jesus. That even when you relate to the most kind and welcoming Christians who just want to welcome you into their lives, into their space, you feel like something is still missing. Like, like you can't get all the way to them. And the reason that is because you haven't yet trusted your life to Christ. You don't share the same bond of what's most important in your life with them. And maybe that's you. I want to plead with you, trust Christ. Because the fact might be that you're excluded. We have some friends of ours, some older friends in our community group, Nigel and Pat Cox. Um, they've lived, they lived once in the, the island of Cyprus, which you know, near Greece, for four years. Uh, and while there, they served uh, Youth for Christ, uh, Missions Agency Youth for Christ, and, and teachers while they were there. And they were sharing a couple weeks ago how even as they got close to other people and made friends, they could only get so close with them because they were citizens of another country. And in and, and most places they went, they, they were asked to show their papers. This is a number of years ago. They were asked to show their papers, and stamped on their papers was alien. In big, bold letters, you'll see it up here on the screen, alien. So they could only get so close in some ways because they were foreign, they felt foreign, and other ways because they were in fact foreign. They were in fact aliens. Not only in feeling, but they were in fact aliens. And that's what I'm trying to get across that you may be in fact an alien to God's people as of this point in your life. I don't want you to be. I want you to trust Christ, but that may feel why sometimes you feel a certain distance. Look at verse 18. It says, for we, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's true for some, but not for all. If you don't trust Christ, you don't yet have access. You have access into this building. Just like, it, to take the temple analogy here, you have access into the courts. And we welcome you, but you can only get so close. You can sing. You can hear songs and you can sing them, but you can't yet worship Jesus because you haven't trusted him. So we don't want that to be the case. And, and I think some churches... Some churches make a mistake here, one of two mistakes often. Some churches hurt by being judgmental. They look at people through the lens of the law of God. And if they don't measure up to what they see as important in God's word, to what they emphasize in God's word, then they'll assign you a label, like we see here in verse 11. And then you'll feel looked down upon. On the other end of the spectrum, we have churches that hurt people by way of tolerance. What do I mean by that? I mean, they don't love people enough to tell them the truth. Yes, God loves you. Yes, we love you. But because of sin, in fact, you will always feel distance. You will always feel excluded. Because sin lies between you and I, not yet Jesus lies between you and I. Does that make sense? So in both cases, churches don't love the other, by being judgmental in one case and by, by never telling church the truth that you have to come to know Jesus if you want to feel fully included. But thankfully, there's another way. 
It's another way to love people and help them feel included in a church like, like ours. It's the feeling and fact of inclusion, the vision Paul lays out for us here. That's kind of the second point here. And first, we are included through faith in Jesus Christ by fact. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. Verse 14, he himself is our peace. He has made us both one. He has broken down that wall of his hostility. Is, has, it has been done. It's no longer what you do, what you've done that counts in knowing God forever and knowing one another forever, but what Jesus has done on the cross that counts. That's all. That's all that counts. And you're included. That means all the basis, both for judgment and inferiority, have been abolished through the cross. All the reasons we have in community to judge people based on our performance through what we've done, that's been abolished. Over here, the feeling of inferiority we have because we're on the outside. We're not, in fact, included. Abolished through the cross because you are included. So there's no room anymore for feeling inferior. There's no room anymore for, for judging others through the cross of Jesus Christ. What an amazing fact this is for these Gentiles that we read about in this passage. For the first time, they are brought near. And when they heard that term, brought near through the blood of Christ, they would immediately have thought of the temple grounds. They would immediately have thought of, finally, I get to draw closer. I get to move near. They were excluded from the two most important houses they could have been excluded from socially. The house of other Jewish people and the house of God. And now all of a sudden, they move near to the building. They go inside and they can praise God and other people. And yet, picture yourself. Picture yourself for a moment as a non-Jew in that scenario. You open the doors, you walk into the building, and it's wonderful for a while. You're singing to God. You're seeing the priest. That sweet altar sacrifices is amazing. And yet, then you recognize you stand shoulder to shoulder with that Jewish person. Someone next to whom you felt inferior, less than, labeled your whole life. Do you think those feelings just go away? Do you think they just disappear? as soon as you enter that building, as if the building is somehow magical? Of course not. It takes time. It takes time. What's really helpful, what's really helpful in our passage that I want to point out to us for a moment, what's really helpful in the, in the Greek language in which Paul writes, is you can, you can communicate ideas about the past, the present, and the future. But there was this other tense in Greek that you can communicate something really interesting and really different. You could communicate that something is a fact, even though we haven't felt it yet. Something can be true, even though we haven't yet felt its effect. Something that's tangibly, not yet tangibly realized, but it's as good as done. And that's something that comes out in this passage here. He says some things are already true, right? You have been made one. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. Jesus is our peace. But something is true, the effects of which we haven't yet felt. And I'm not trying to give you a grammar lesson this morning. Let me put it to you maybe a little more simply if this is helpful. I'll give you an example. I've had the same mechanic for seven and a half years uh, since we've been on island. He's proved so reliable that when he tells me he's going to order a rare part, he's going to find a rare part, or he's going to fix my, my tire rods or replace them against all hope, he'll tell me, he always uses the phrase, consider it done. Just consider it done. And because he is so reliable, I do. I consider like my car is already fixed, even though I don't feel 
I fixed car quite yet. Like, I'm not driving it quite yet. It is as good as done. And Paul recognizes the fact that Jesus has brought us near to the cross. He has, in fact, done that. And many of us still feel excluded as we, even as we worship side by side with people very different than us. So, in fact, we are one as brother and sister with that person. But there's this reality that we haven't yet tangibly felt that effect. Does that make sense? So the way this is translated into English, look at verse 15. You might have wondered when you read this, that he might create in himself one new man. There's no way to say this in English. So Paul puts it, he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, and so making peace. Verse 16, he might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross. Because the translation is trying to communicate, okay, this is a reality that we are one because of Jesus. He is our strongest bond, and yet we haven't yet felt the effect of feeling that oneness, of of feeling that reconciliation both through the cross. The fact is, you are one with the person sitting in the row in front of you. Maybe a person you've never met before if they've trusted Jesus and you have too, and yet you feel less than one with them. Right? You, 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 You look at their different season of life, their different relational status, their different country of origin, different way of talking, their different interests, different looks different personalities, and you think, we're not one. Like, God bless that person. They're not like me. They probably feel the same way about me. We're not one yet. So it would be entirely practical at that point to throw in the towel. You know, just, just make a young professional's community group, right? Base everything around similarities and get on with it. But friends, the, the world is watching us. And if we just get into our huddles of similarity into our huddles of likeness, the world sees that and says, the church isn't any different. The church is the same as everyone else. They talk a good game about Jesus, but what difference does he make in their relationships? I still see the same nationalities always hanging out together, always being together. The world is not impressed, friends, with that. Paul is sympathetic. He's entirely realistic and entirely hopeful. Hopeful. It's as if he's saying, I know it doesn't feel like you were one yet. And yet you can be sure it is as good as done that you're going to be one with that person. That you're going to be united through Christ. God is doing work. Verse 22, in him you are also being built together into a holy temple. Temple, the place of division, is the same place where you'll be united again. So, so friends, not only can we participate in what God is doing and making us one You and I can be confident it's as good as done. That's the confidence we can carry into any relationship with someone who's not like us. It's as good as done. It is going to happen. That is what Paul is communicating here. Our responsibility then is to make the fact of Jesus felt in our relationships. That's our responsibility in a nutshell. The fact of what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, felt in our relationships. And I want to close this morning by going through our text to show us that this is possible in Jesus Christ. Okay, to make the fact of Jesus felt, especially in unlikely friendships. We see here that Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace, right? It says this here in our passage. So we should adjust our faith. Peace was an important concept to Paul, who himself was a Jew. In all his letters, he greets people with a peace. He says, peace to you from God the Father. Shalom was the Hebrew word from God the Father. 
And that was the typical Hebrew greeting at the time, shalom. We translate it as peace. And when we think of that, we think, oh, everyone just gets, gets along, right? We're, we're lock arms, hand in hand. Everyone, there's no fighting. But the Jewish sense of, of shalom, of peace, was far greater. It meant a completeness, a wholeness, lacking nothing. Jesus, then, is the peace in our relationships. What it means for our relationships is that when we relate through Jesus Christ, there is nothing lacking. And that requires a bit of a faith adjustment, doesn't it? Like how many times when you're talking with someone new or perhaps really different from you, you want to extricate yourself from the conversation, right? You're like, we don't have much in common. I need to get out of here. I'm just being real. Or, or at least you think to yourself, this is really nice meeting someone new, but we're never going to be friends. It's not even possible. But that's because you're so used to in life relating through weaker bonds, weaker bonds and friendship. Bonds like season of life, age of your kids, similar profession, which rugby club or premier league club you root for. By the way, Tottenham. I'm leaning towards Tottenham these days. I don't know why. I'm trying to adopt one. (laughs) Thanks, James. Those are weaker bonds. I I love it, James, but, but, but weaker bonds. And you now share a stronger, infinite bond through Jesus Christ. There is nothing lacking in you or in the other person or in the friendship. In fact, if you relate to the other person through Jesus, you can be in for a great surprise. Open up new ways of learning and growing and seeing Jesus in ways you never saw before, just like I saw my wife Katie and still see. There's nothing lacking in an unlikely friendship. Number two, we see here in this passage, Jesus sacrificed himself, so we should adjust our relating. That's the theme we hear very consistently in our passage, right? the blood of Christ, in the flesh, the cross. That's because Jesus has sacrificially moved towards you. Now, won't we move towards someone unlike us? Jesus himself said to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Does that verse have any impact on our lives? Is is there any way in which we lay down our lives to love someone who feels excluded, who feels outcast, who feels alone when they come to be with us? We should sacrifice ourselves, move towards others. Start by sitting near someone unfamiliar on a Sunday. I know when when you walk through those doors, you're looking for someone who you know. It's so tempting. You look for someone you know, you, you, you gaze out for them. I want to encourage you to do what Jesus did. Sacrifice of yourself. Go move towards someone. Sit next to someone in the service. Praise God next to them, even if you don't know them. Or initiate an after-church chat with someone who's been sitting by themselves during the service. I know it's tempting to leave, get to your brunch, your conversation, but just, just take a moment, find someone, look at them during the service and say, man, I just, wanted to, just want to have a chat with you. I want to get to know you. Jesus sacrificed himself. We should do Likewise, finally, Jesus assigns us new labels. Jesus assigns us new labels, so we should adjust our conversation. Look at verse 19. You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. So the Christian with whom you relate is now far less a, a stuffy lawyer, an overdoting mother, a football fanatic, a workaholic, extrovert, introvert, more or less wealthy, but far more, they are a citizen in the king's kingdom. They are a child of the living God. They are a member of your family. We should relate accordingly. 
We should talk accordingly, sharing with the other person what God's teaching you in life. Right? And here, ask them what, what he's teaching them. Right? Share, share your story. Ask someone to share their story with you about faith in Christ. If they don't, don't know what that means, ask them to talk about some significant points in their life, some significant turning points in their life or significant relationships that turn them to God. Share a struggle for which you could use prayer. These are things that bond us through Jesus and not through weaker bonds in our lives. Now, as I challenge you this morning, remember, remember maybe more than anything else, that you are an unlikely friend. You, and you, and you are an unlikely friend. In the passage we've been reading the previous two weeks, listen to what God sa- or Paul says about who we were. Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, to the greatest words in the Bible, verse 4, but God. Jesus, what he did on the cross, made you an unlikely friend. You may come this morning and you feel labeled and you feel excluded. And maybe you've labeled others and excluded others. And look what it says here in verse 13. But now in Christ. But God, God made you an unlikely friend. But now in Christ, we are in position to make an unlikely friend that the world can see and know that Jesus is real. Let's do that together. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this time this morning, for this passage. This passage of exclusion, this passage of inclusion. And we thank you that through Jesus we can be included into the Father's family forever. And yet there are some among us who don't know that they're excluded. In fact, I pray that you would help them trust Christ. And there's some who walk through our doors who feel excluded just because of the way maybe they're treated, the way they haven't yet made relationships. God, help us who know you. Help us who trust you, Jesus. Make you the strongest bond and unlikely friendships. Help us approach others, love others, not stay in our comfort zone, but relate to people who are different than us because that's what you did to us. We were so different from you, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. You were the beloved son, and yet you united us to yourself. Help us follow in your footsteps and do likewise. In Jesus' name, amen.